0: Okay, everybody. Boker Tov, burka Tov. Today's daf is Lamid Aleph, and we are right in the middle of uh, the Gemara. Uh, is the mitzvah Talmud Torah to one's child, and then also to some degree to oneself. And we are um, pick up with um, uh, excuse me. In the middle daf, uh, today's daf is Daf Lamid Aleph. We are picking up in Lamid Amid and uh, we just did some, uh, some agarita about how Torah is used in this very militaristic type of an imagery. Um, ten, and we pick up about, um, uh, where are we? Um, about f- five lines down in the medium-sized line. Tanura Banan. And the Quran just spoken about how the Samtem, um, the professor from Kriyat Shemazra, is Samtam, a perfect elixir um, and uh, and like a uh, panacea and the Torah will be a perfect way of uh, dealing with the Yetzir Hara and it will control the Yetzir Hara Tanu Rabbanan so five lines down in the medium sized line the Yetzir Hara is so bad that even its creator called it evil which is obviously very important right because the whole beginning of, of Breishit is God creates things and says right like, uh, you know if so uh, you know, Kitov, and then finally it's Ra. What's Ra is what people do, and what's at the end of Breishit and Yeter Aleve Adam um, Ra Min Urv. Rabbi Yitzchak Yitzur Shaladam Mitzchadeish Shalav B'Chol Yom. Every day it renews itself against you, like it's always finding new ways to attack you. Kena Rak Rak Kol Hayom. It's evil the whole day. I guess it means it also like rejuvenates every day. Rabbi Shimon Ben Levi Yitzur Shaladam Mitzkabeish uh, Shalav B'Chol Yom. It's, uh, it, it has power over you, um, and it tries to destroy you. The wicked one, you know, uh, the, the evil one, uh, looks towards the righteous one and tries to and tries to kill him. Um, now, obviously, the thing that's being emerging here, in addition to the strength and the innovativeness and creativity of the Eter Hara, and the fact that you need to constantly, the same way, it's constantly finding these schemes, you need to constantly find schemes to combat it and. Like the, and that's like the learning of Torah. And it's, I think it's interesting to think about, right, like in a sense, it's chidush of Torah, you know, and you innovate in the chidush of the yitra hara and so on. But it's also that the yitra hara, as opposed to the Pshat, is being personified. But as opposed to the pshukim, which speaks about your natural in evil inclinations. You could speak about a human being, you know, natural sort of lustful desires, right? And this is being personified, right? It's sort of like the, the devil, right? Or, you know, you know, or this, the little devil on your shoulder, you know, that is flowing. Trying to, like, is looking to bring you to Gehenna, is trying to destroy you, right? So it is a very, a very different type of that imagery, the stuff we normally associate more with, like, a type of a Christian, you know, type of an imagery. Um, okay. So Gmar says, if God would not be there to, to assist you, you would not be able. God will not abandon you. I want to also to say that that's also a little bit disturbing, right? Because that means that we're not given the, our own to be sufficient capacity ourselves right to deal with the Yetzir Hara right we need God's assistance and again thinking about the Christian imagery right I mean it's not saying original sin and that you need this, you know salvation or whatever but nevertheless it's like you can't do it on your own right and that's I think the Jewish idea is a little, it tends to be a little bit different right it tends to be that we have Yetzer Tove and we have the ability and the wherewithal not that we don't sometimes need God's assistance but here the idea is that a deep fundamental way you're going to fail without God Assistance, like it's already the deck is already stacked against you. Without God there, then clearly you're going to be given over to the Eitz Haran. Right before it said God gave us Torah, and if we learn Torah, right, we have we're given the tools to combat the Eitz Haran. Yeah. Guess what? I guess one can't say. In a Jewish way. Words, so I understand. Yeah, right. 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 It's Again, it's not like original sin. It's not like you right. start out sinful, but you start out with this deck stacked against you, and you can't do it on your own. Right?
1: Couldn't it be interpreted that if you didn't have the alternative, which is Haqqa's way of life,
0: then
1: you would Um,
0: hmm. That's really easy. Uh huh. So it's sort of like reading it like the like like the like the Talmud Torah, like God has given us Torah. So God has given us work, not that God has given us the godly path or something like that. It's a little bit of a stretch, but it helps address, it helps you know uh, address the question. Yeah,
1: connected
0: with free will, perhaps,
1: hmm? perhaps connected oh. it it to free will, right? Because without you know, if it was. Uh if there was no free will, then you wouldn't be able to have this choice.
0: <coughs> right, I mean and there's also, you know,
1: and you need this in order to have free
0: will. Right, you need God to counterbalance. No, I mean,
1: you need both. You, you need, need both. Need to, yeah, you need two sides.
0: Right, decide to decide that's a good out. point. So this, so this then becomes the little angel on the other, on, you know, the little angel on the other shoulder, yeah. right? It's also the fact that, you know, you know, the commercial says Haba <laughs> It's not that God does it for you, once you start exerting your free will, God will come to give you that strength. And that could be read that way too that maybe it's coming to give chizuk to a person who feels like they're always failing you know it's that like you know just get started on the right path and then God will come like you'll find the strength you know if you continue on that path yeah Charlie yeah
1: I don't per, this is an opinion I don't hear enough of this in Orthodox Church that God is there to help us
0: uh huh. That's a really good point too. You're right. Like you're saying, we have too much about the whole thing about like it's like it's you know it's all our choice, and yeah. there's not enough of that. Yeah. In general, the God talk is very very absent. You know. I mean, just the other day, I was like, I don't know, pulling out of a parking space, and there was somebody behind me, and they were trying whatever, and I said they touched my fender. I said, don't worry about it. I said, oh, God bless you. God bless you. God should be with you. And it's like, man, nobody ever, Nobody in this community ever talks that way. <laughs> right. You're right. I mean, that idea. You know, that God is there to help us and give us the strength that we need. So you're right, to a certain degree, that's, you know, it's, that, the problem is that it's lacking, not that it's too much but it here. To the right.
1: System, the idea of
0: the right, but that's, but, but, a, but a part of our, con, our constant discourse, that sense of God's regular presence in our lives, right, it's in the prayers, but it's not in our discourse. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. Okay, um, uh, where are we? Um, yeah. we're talking about to Rabbi Ishmael. Mm-hmm. um, um, if this, uh, mm-hmm. perverted thing takes hold of you, um, uh, this abominable thing. So now we have the power. Shlep him to the base medrash, making your chavrusa. If he's a stone, he'll melt. And if he's iron, he'll shatter. Here, my words are like fire. Now, the problem with this is that this verse says like a anvil, like 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 a, like, like a um, what is it? A hammer? Not a hammer. What's a patish? It's a a, not a hammer. It's a bigger thing. Anyway, whatever it is, what? No, the anvil. The anvil is the other thing, but yeah. so one of those big things. Anyway, whatever it is, and like a hammer, it will it will shatter a rock. But this is saying that the that the metal shatters, right? So Tosu says, ye fu- ye are day sellers." That which is a bizarre read. Tosa suggests another read, which is, um, imp- Im- 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 Im, which is. Uh, in if it's, if it's metal, it'll it'll, it'll it'll melt, it'll turn molten, and if it's a rock, it'll shatter. And that's kodvarai keish, it'll be like a fire to cause the metal to melt. And then it'll also shatter the rock. But anyway, it's a hard read of the puzzle. Anyway, in Nimoa, if it's a stone, it'll it dissolve. Come, all you thirsty to water. Stones have been worn away. By by the water, okay, so it'll you'll be able to destroy it, now again we go back, we, we close the circle with the Torah, that will help you destroy the 8th horror so not only is there this mitzvah of Talmud Torah, how it's sort of central to a person's religious well-being and to face up to the daily sort of religious challenges that a person faces okay, back to the father's obligation to the daughter, si, to the daughter to the son, that was an interesting slip la si isha, to marry him off, to get him married Manala, and how do you know that's a parental obligation, to who Take wives and and, and and have children, boys and girls. And even though we mentioned sons, have sons and daughters, take for your sons nashim women that benotechem to nul anashim. But then it says, and your daughters give over to men. So this is very interesting, because this now seems like the obligation is to marry off both your sons and daughters. So the Gemara says, Bishlema So I understand in the, the, the son that's in your ability. Why? Because it's very bizarre. It's not the father's ability to do either. The son has to one, do the one to contract the kiddushin, right? It's, it's the, you, know, you, can't marri- you can marry off your daughter, you can't marry off your son, oh, you know, you can make a shidduch for of your son, but you can't marry him off. But presumably, it sees again a man going to, as the one who's the initiator, so maybe representing your son, you can go and try to, you know, suggest that he marry a certain girl, or whatever it might be, but it says, el abito he' there's got to be one of the most ironic emirrits, right? We learned earlier on that the father can marry off his daughter against her will, and they're saying, how can you command a father to marry off his daughters? That's ultimately the choice of the man, it's not the choice of the woman, right? So, yeah, well, let, let's just give you the answer. Hachikam this is what it's saying. Nitan lamidi vilav You know what? Give her something, have wear, um, you, know, you know, nice clothing and ornaments so that men will be attracted to her and want to marry her. So do for your daughter, give her a nice dowry. So even though in the end it's the man who is making pr- the proposal, who's doing the proposing, you know, nevertheless, do what you need to do to get men to want to marry your daughter. Now again, it's very ironic. It's first of all strange because here it, has, it, it, it basically speaks about our father's obligation to sons and daughters. And the Gemara all along was the father's obligation are only to the sons not to the daughters and the Gemara doesn't even question you know here it says the, that's the whole basis of the Chosukah is to marry off sons and daughters and the other irony is is that the father actually can marry off his daughter right you know he can't initiate it but he can marry off his daughter when she's underage and he can't marry off his son whether he's underage or whether he's Bar Mitzvah but nevertheless seeing again like that first stop in the Gemara you know Ish you know, you know that you know Ish is Mach Zirach Rave Doso sees that the father even when he's representing if he's representing his son Son, he can be an initiator, and he can get the get the things, you know, get the process going. Where if he's the, representing his daughter, he can't be an initiator, and he, he could only be somebody to attract, you know, proposals and attractment offers. Yes, Jenna, you had a question. I um, think the,
2: the, the exact same uh, discussion seems that I think, in Kissimmee vote when they're talking about giving the daughter like. When it's talking about inheritance and stuff, right. like, and like trying to figure out how how the daughter should get inheritance, because it's like, because it's like this uh, the, the, the initiation comes from the male side, right? So whether it be a do of the ab or be a do of the son, more it's about like who's
0: the initiating the process. Go out
2: and say like, marry me.
0: Exactly, marry my daughter. Right, he has marry to wait. Right, he has to he has to do enough that some men sort of the proper inquiry, and then he can like re exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that's clearly what it's talking about. But again, what's also fascinating is that the whole point is that these are only obligations on the son and here we have no problem saying oh this also is on the daughter even though the whole point of the mission is these are the obligations on the son okay anyway so now the gemara continues and to teach him a trade see life with the woman that you love um, so if it literally means a woman the same way he has to marry marry his son to a daughter to a wife so it's a a livelihood. In and if the Isha here is a metaphor and refers to Torah, here's Torah as the other woman. I'm wondering out that Boyarin speaks about both the militaristic metaphor with Torah, like fighting the war, and also Torah as like, as you know, and that we saw before, the whole competition between Talbot Torah and being married and where your responsibilities are. So here's the Isha, the woman who you're living your life with could be Torah. Okay? the same as the Torah, the same we have to teach him Torah, the same have to teach him a trade. And some say you have to teach him how to swim in the in the river. Because that's uh, to protect somebody's life. You have to have the ability to swim. As we mentioned the other day, in some uh, colleges and universities, you can't graduate if you don't know how to swim. Yes.
2: And all this is rabbinic, right? They're all. Yeah, yeah. From the
0: point of last uh, Ishaan, you know, we're quoting sukim from the Navi and so on. You know, you know. It's even an interesting question whether one would even call this a. Mitzvah derabbanan, you know, this is more sort of. If it's a mitzvah derabbanan, it's under a broad category of you have a parental responsibility to, you know, raise your child, yeah. you know, correctly or whatever. I mean, um, you know, oh, I wasn't yotzei my mitzvah Bunan I didn't marry him off. I mean, it, it becomes it obviously has a very different feel these obligations than right. the earlier ones of bris milah and aben and so on. Yeah, so Yeah,
1: my father never learned to spend.
0: Oh, really? Okay. he drowning my presence. <laughs> wow! Wow! Oh my yeah. God! So. You know, I mean an interesting thing to compare this to is the question of chinoch, which is more formalized as, at least in some areas as a Durabannan, like right, to train your kids to do the mitzvot and so on, although some of that seems to be much more, you know, quantified and, and, and concretized and others seem more broadly generic. But that's preparing your child for a life of, of as a Torah Jew. So this is preparing your child in general for life, you know. So it's sort of like a type of a chinoch, I would sort of say, you know, is one way of seeing this. But yes. Of very different quality. Okay, Rabbi Yehuda Omer Torah Umanuk If somebody doesn't teach their son a trade, it's like they teach I them the uh, band- banditry. Listus Saka Literally, This is if, because what are they going to do? They don't have a way of earning a living. Living. Might be Now, what did Rabbi to add? The Tanakhama already said you have to teach him a trade, so he just emphasized how important it was. What did he add? You know, with the Agma Iska. You taught him business. You taught him how to do business. You know, but you didn't teach him a trade, and therefore, if you look at and therefore, like you know to do a buy, you know commerce buying and selling so Rashi says well you know that you could make a lot of money that way but also you know under in some economies under some circumstances maybe you can't make any money but it's like you have a, if you have a trade if you're like a plumber you know or an electrician you're you know your, your services will always be in need you know you, you know so therefore so that's the difference. He's underscoring that dafka, a trade, is important. Okay.
1: People in the Holocaust, like Jack, for example, was a
0: tailor. Uh, really? Yeah.
1: He had, a, had something they needed.
0: Wow, that's interesting. That's he, really interesting. Thank he, you so much, Jenna. He Dana.
1: created uniforms for the Nazis. Hmm. The
0: wow, wow.
1: So too, right? You, you, had, you knew that plumbing... And it got you a good job
2: yeah.
0: to I- I yeah. when you were in the camps. Wow. Because you knew the plumbing, you knew trade. Yeah. And that, then you uh, ate the fl- this,
2: is, this was the only one lucky thing. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow, because you knew plumbing. That's why you survived the camps. Wow. Wow. Yeah,
2: okay. yeah, too much. I only watching at home in the factory. Hmm. How the mechanic can fixed,
0: Yeah, I mean,
2: that that's became. a boy from ten years old. Okay. Wow! 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 Just to know
0: how to have a hummus. That's what it says. Like a manual trade, some type of a trade, right? Yeah. Wow! Yeah. Wow!
2: So, no. Yeah. The irony is in the Middle Ages the power a of Jews didn't do that, right? They weren't members of guilds.
0: Well, they were they, they were they were forced oh, right. out of guilds. Oh, right, right. And, and, oh. that, and that and that they became very wealthy because they were forced out of the guild. Yeah. That, that's right. Okay. Come Ben. Now we completely switch gears and get into like the uh, mother load, if you'll excuse me, of Aim. you know, in Shas, which is the uh second part of this mission, which is all of the obligations of the father on the side which means that the child owes to the father are uh, equal men and women, boy, you know, men and women have to, uh, have to respect their parents. This is all about av ve'im. Kome says By kome says what does that mean? All the mitzvahs of the father on the child. Ilema Any obligation the father has to do for his son. So, nashim Chayavos, women are obligated in the parental obligations. Vatanya, we just said that that's not that way. So, avalabev no le The father is obligated for bris me lempiginaben. Abi vini only the father i'm to know, hachi kamar the same way we we, we explain the race we explain the safe of the mishnah us all Mitzah's owed to parents that are the child's obligation, filial obligations okay to do for the father so whether sons or daughters are obligated tanino had to we talk in the mishnah what we teach in the B'righta, each to each man should fear his mother and father amyle each only know man me nine How do you know a woman has to fear her father and mother or revere, I should say, because you are mere ra'u revere in the plural. are is So it's talking about two people. In So why does it emphasize man? Because a man usually has more opportunity to take care of, to do things outside of the household than a woman. Because a woman's primary responsibility, right, is to her husband. So therefore, she has less opportunity, which doesn't mean she's exempt. It Means that there are often some types of things that take priority. Now, the irony, of course, is this: is first of all, Tosos points out that this is that rabbinically, it's, as a legal matter, women's obligation to their husband in terms of household duties is only rabbinic. It's not the right The woman doesn't have household duties to the husband, right? All those discussions in Ksuvot. If you look at Tosos, <speaking in Hebrew> right? So all those things about a woman's domestic obligations, those are really rabbinic. As a legal matter, el the reality is or what I would say a little differently because, you know her household is her fa- husband's household, not her father's so I would have said it differently. social norms was that women were doing the domestic responsibilities even if legally it only became a legal obligation right in terms of you know to vote and so on as a rabbinic matter. but the other irony is is that the reality is, and this happens you know you know with my own mother and uh, and uh, her mother-in-law is that it's a uh, Rabbi martyr point this house so the irony is, is that when an older parent needs taking care of it's almost always the daughter or the daughter-in-law who takes that who shoulders that responsibility you know usually because it's all it's you know even with our more egalitarian society it's still you know the woman is usually the primary caregiver and if she's the primary caregiver to the children she winds up being the primary caregiver to the other to the you know older generation as well whether it's her parents or whether it's her husband's parents so that's the irony it says each a man has more opportunity but the reality often plays out the opposite of that ok so then Mcmarsh says
2: sons are really concerned about who those daughters, and daughters are oh,
0: because who's going to take care of you when you're old age right exactly. interesting ok um Okay, Baravin Amarav and therefore you should know that this idea that somehow we expect more of the sons is only when the woman is married but if the woman is divorced or maybe never married then the daughter's obligation is equal to the son's obligation so it's very egalitarian you know the uh, obligations here at least at a fundamental level and the same thing that's true about sons and daughters it's true about mothers and fathers which we'll see in a minute Tanu Nemar your mother and father father and mother Honor God from your wealth. So it's the Kabeid and the kabed, two honors. So honoring your parents is like honoring God. You're supposed to revere both of them. So, so, and serve him. It equates the reverence of father and mother to the reverence of God. That one who destroys father and mother should be put to death. Uh, excuse me. That curses father and mother should be put to death which is seen as a, like capital crime that's a euphemism the blessing meaning the cursing of father and mother the one final thing that a man who smites his father and mother is put to death there's no parallel right because you're talking about God and it makes sense that their parents are equated to God, um, and God because all three are partners in the creation of the human, Tanya Rebbeinon, as we teach, Shloish Hashutafei Neim BeAdam, there are three partners in the human: Hakadosh Baruch Hu Avi VeImo, God, Father, and Mother. Okay, now Bisman Shadam, the Chabadet Avi VeImo, and then others, the Father, Mother. I'm Amar Kadosh Baruch Hu Malah Ani Alechem Kielu Darki BeNechem, it's like I dwelled among them, the Chibaduni, and they honored me. Tanya, we turn the brights. Rebbe Omer, Golu V'Dulifni Misha. Because we'll stop there for a second. So here is the equation of God with honoring parents, Um, and you know it's so witty. Like all the equ- parallels in terms of obligations and it's as if you honored God and there's another one that if you will see in a minute that if you don't honor your parents is as, you, uh, as if you rejected God and so on now the question is what is meant by this comparison um, you know I always thought that um, you know the way to interpret it is is that this is sort of um, it's ultimately about the message of uh, gratitude right that you sort of your parents create you you know they brought you into this world you owe them everything so you show them you know you show them this honor, and like it's a kavachomer for God, you know, God created the entire world, and God created your parents, and you owe that sort of to God, and therefore, if you are, you know, you know, honoring your parents, then you're sort of modeling and showing how you recognize even a greater honor is deserved to God, and so on, Um, and the same in the reverse, so ultimately, it's about, you know, fundamentally about the principle of, like, gratitude after having received everything, and, you know, what what you owe, it's more obvious about your parents, and that serves, you know, or immediate about your parents, and that serves as a model to your relationship to God however I, I saw I've been teaching this class actually in the yeshiva um, on Kibbutz the aim and there's an excellent book although it's a little bit dense um, but it's called um, Anadei Father and Mother by Gerald Blitzstein which basically works through the basic halachic ideas around it you know in a very but like three dimensional way I mean he brings in historical context and all these other and you know the philosophical context, and he works through the various sort of halachic development and components and you know and sort of philo- you know uh, a religious uh, underpinnings uh, around these issues. Anyway, in dealing with um, this, these these Gemaras, he actually says, you know, that, and, and somehow this never occurred to me, but he says, it's not the point that it's about gratitude and about, or this at least, he claims is about, you know, that that models for you how you're supposed to relate to God. He more says that it's like, that it's almost like You're drawing on that, that there's a, um, I'm trying to see if I can do this justice, but he says, um, that there's a sense of, of awe in terms of, you know, parents as, the same way our relationship to God, it could be one of the gratitude, right? But it could also be one of a sense of, like, awe. You know, God is the creator. Oh, my God, God made all of this. Like, you know, God is so different and so other than me and so amazing, right? And therefore, that invokes a sense of, of, of you know, of reverence and, you know, and, and, and so on and honor and all of these things, which is not about giving back. It's about, like, you know, and so he says that that's, like, he thinks that that's what's sort of being spoken about here. That is that a certain way of relating to them oh my god these are my parents you know these are like you know you know that you know they created me not just out of a sense of gratitude but oh, a sense right. of right but out of that sense of like how amazing it is you know how what they've done and how you know and, and 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 how they're at a higher level than I am and all of those other types of you know emotions that are you know this awe and reverence and they're so amazing or whatever that is um, you know that that's different and then that's you know sort of what's uh you know, it's sort of the—it's more of a religious value than of a an, an a, of of an ever of, of an ethical point of of gratitude. Um, okay, I'm not sure I'm doing it full justice, but that's the basic idea. All right, so now the Gemara continues. Um, okay. Um, what
2: you're saying, just for half a second. Yeah. Not, no, oh, that was very nice the way. You, uh, in other words, the, the obligation to whatever we receive the obligation to your parents—is not ethically driven out of a sense of obligation, but motivated by a deep sense of awe and reverence.
0: Right. Because I mean, I mean, according more, to this way of underscoring this, right? The
2: motivational level that pull, that that inclines you towards that response right. to your parents. Is the same one that enables you to dive and let's work on it, right?
0: Kind of right, and it's also the question of what's your basic source of that of that feeling. Meaning, if you see this gratitude, then you start at the human level. You obviously feel gratitude to your parents, and that should then translate in your relationship to God. But if you see that the religious plane, it sort of is the reverse. There's this obvious sense of awe and reverence that comes in the way you think about God, and then that has to translate into the way you think about your parents as well, right? But it's more of this sort of religious type of sense. Sensibility, you know, as sort of parents as creators, you know, and but not the, the moral sensibility that's modeled after your relationship with God. Yes.
1: This is great for most of us who have good parents. Mm-hmm. There are parents who are horrible people who right. their kids.
0: Right. So there's two questions about this. One is what if I don't feel that way about my parents, you know? The other is, what if my parents were really abusive and hurt, and harmful to me psychologically, emotionally, and so on? So in terms of the abusive issue, I'll just say a brief thing now and we can talk about it. I mean, we're not going to have a direct case about it, so we'll have some interesting cases. It is the basic principle of mitzvah steinadam l'chavera, which ultimately this is, what I said, you know, bracketing what I said a second ago, is the principle of chayecha the ve chayecha vercha hayecha kozim, Your life and your friend's life, your life comes first. Self-protection is your primary obligation to another person. You're, for the first person you're obligated to is yourself. So therefore, when people are um, for their own psychological well-being, you know, they, ha- they have to maintain distance from their parents and they can't have really, you know, e- various types of or anything to do with your parents depending on the circumstances, then their obligation is primarily to themselves. They are not supposed to, you know, do anything, you know, in that place, they ha- they're, uh, they're, they're not allowed to, to do these acts of keep out of aim if they need to take care of themselves and that, and that comes first. Which, now, if we're not talking about something that's psychologically damaging, you have to extend yourself a great deal personally, and financially to do them, the mitzvah aim. But if we're talking about really protecting yourself, your well being, then that comes first, and that's a very important principle. That's number one. Number, but let's say it's not a question about somebody that really is in a psychologically damaging relationship with their parents, you know, um, but just like, yeah, you know, my parents weren't good people. Like, they didn't hurt me. Like, I don't have a problem with them. But why do I owe them disrespect? They're not good people. You know, I don't feel disrespect to them. So, as we'll see, the issue is not, the Torah is not telling you how you have to feel about your parents it's telling you how you have to act towards your parents you know you act in respectful ways whether you feel respectful or not you act in a way that shows honor whether you feel that they are deserving of that or not now we could have a broader conversation why should I even have to act that way if they don't deserve it and we can talk about the larger societal institution of taking care of parents and the older generation or because of these moral messages at the end of the day you still do owe them your lives even if they were terrible parents and all those things but those are two very important principles, which is one is the Torah is not telling you how to feel. It's telling you how to act. Act in respectful ways. And number two is is that self-care comes first. Okay? And those are very important principles. The other thing I should mention at this stage is the one thing the Torah does not command about parents is love you're not told to love your parents which is interesting you think about that one yes Jenny you got a question I, gonna, I mean there
2: are people who feel neglected by God or, mm. so I wonder that's an
0: interesting question too people. right how we respond to that yeah that's a good question very good okay so now the grammar continues Tanya last line of Lama Rabbi Yomer it is it is it is revealed and known to before the one who created the world that a son chose honor to his mother more than his father he's more natural to be natural because he encourages him with words Rashi says sort of like seduces him but basically what it's basically saying I'll just slightly you know reframe it a little bit not really is that the mother classically is the nurturer the father classically is the authority figure so the nurturer is the one that you want to protect and take care of and do good things for, right? And that's key, Kavod. Is we're going to see the primary expression of Kavod is feeding and clothing and taking care of their needs and showing them gratitude, you know, showing them that honor or whatever. So the one who nurtures, that's the natural response. The one who's the authority figure, the more natural response is reverence, right? Is That sense of stepping back and feeling that distance and that little bit of that fear. Okay, so that's why the Torah reverses it. The Torah tells you that even though you're more natural to want to honor your, your mother than your father, therefore it says avicha, to tell you you have to make sure you don't give your, you know, you, 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 you not that you prioritize your father, but you give your father the proper kavod. <inaudible> Similarly, it's known to God that a son more naturally has fear and reverence of his fa- father. Here it gets back to the torah but i would say more in general you, uh, the father more embodies a sense of authority as an authority figure therefore first it says emo first Um, to tell you make sure that you give your mother her due which by the way also teaches you a principle which is gets back to what I said before that sometimes the command of is telling you to do something that does not come naturally right you don't have to command things that come naturally which might be why you're not commanding love not that always kids always love their parents but anyway so even if it's not natural the Torah is still demanding it okay when a person causes anguish to his mother and father it's a good thing I chose not to dwell among them. Sholmalei Darti benim tiaruni had I dwelt among them, they would have caused me anguish. If this is how they act to their parents, then it, then maybe it means if my presence had been there, then I would have suffered as a result of the way they treated their parents. Or maybe it means this shows that it's a good thing I don't have more of a presence in this world because if they can't respect their parents, imagine how they would relate to God. I'm Reb Yitzchak. So now we digress a little bit. Teaches Reb Yitzchak whoever um, because this is about God presence in the world and how our acts would cause God pain or effect God's presence in the world. Okay? anybody who does a sin in, in, in uh, private, in hiding, um, it's like pushing God's legs outside of the world. The, head of the, the, the sky is my, is my throne and the land is my footstool. So God's feet are on this land. A little bit of God is in this world and you go into private to sin which basically means that you're saying that you don't believe that God can see right if you do it in public you're sort of saying you don't care that God can see but if you're doing it in private you're saying you don't believe that God can see and that's why you're doing it in private you think you can get away with it of course maybe it means that you just care about people but anyway one way or the other it's like you're saying that you, God doesn't have a place here the only people that have a place in this world are people they're the only one I care about P God I don't care about so you're pushing God's presence out of the world um, I also Kufra. Here again we get a, like a little bit of pushing God out of the world. A person cannot walk with an upright posture. arts the entire land is filled with god 's presence, so you walk with an upright part, with posture, it means like you know like you 're emphasizing your presence. you 're fundamentally the one here, as opposed to like recognizing your, your your awareness of the presence of God. with an uncovered head. Here's the basis for the idea of a yam, of a kippah. The shechina is above my head, that sense of always being aware of God's presence. Now again, this is, on the one hand, this is because we talked about causing me pain if I had dwelled among you, but on the other hand, one can also not fail to acknowledge that the point is, to some degree, what the Gemara has set up is, the way God does dwell among us to a certain degree is, through our parents like if our parents are sort of seen as representing right, the you know, the creative force and the ones that brought us into the world and God's presence and later we're going to have a Gemara which is going to be that a certain Amora when he saw his mother come, when he heard his mother's footsteps, he said the shechina's coming, okay, so that sense of like God's presence, right so it, it raises this interesting question about, if you know, if this is a way we have to be aware of God's presence, also how do we feel when we're in the presence of our parents, seems to be the Obvious question that's being sort of suggested or put out there. Yes, Charlie.
1: Why doesn't this last halacha about covering your head uh, Why does it apply differently to women?
0: Well, first of all, it's not a halacha. This was just what this amora did. Then it just became a wide, a widespread practice. Um, but it is a good question. You could say women cover their hair once they're married. But again, it's, it, you know, that's a good question. Like, how come that didn't not get adopted among women? Maybe because the hair covering was a sign of a married versus an unmarried woman. And uh, you know, but I don't
1: know. We had a Gemara about covering
0: the... Right, the the general married men covering their hair. Yeah, I don't know, it's a good question. Okay, Um, okay, now we get to a certain halachic discussion. It's so interesting the way the Gemara when it deals with Kibbutz is constantly moving between halachic analysis and agadic discussions and part of it is because it's just there's so much like moral education that needs to be done and talking about the values and talking about Striving for an ideal, we're going to see that's a major theme about having sort of putting out there a, a, a an impossible to reach ideal that we have to be striving for. Um, and the other point, though, also you know is because uh, and I forgot what the other one was going to say about this. Um, uh, I forget. Okay, it'll come to me anyway. But there is this constant moving here between you know the agadic you know and the halachic discussions um, around kibra aims So let's take a look. a um, at Rabbi Eliezer. So a certain Of a widow, asked Rabbi Elazar, "Abba, Amar Hashkenei Maim, if my father tells me to 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 pour him water, to have allow him to you know, to he wants a cup of water, because that's going to be a classic act of kavod, is providing food and you know for your parents, giving them the service of providing them the food." my mother asks for water which one comes first put aside for the moment your mother's honor and do your father's honor you and your mother are obligated in your father's honor so this again gets to as we'll see in a minute fundamentally as the Gemara before emphasized fear and honor reverence and honor of mother and father are fundamentally equal except if the, the same way son and daughter equally have to honor their mother and father, except if the woman is married. If the daughter is married, that interferes, at least in theory, Right? we discussed before in practice, but at least in theory, right? her obligation to her husband can interfere with her obligation to her parents. Similarly, if the mother is married, then that means that the primary kavod is owed to the father if they're competing, because in a patriarchal household and society, the father is the head of the household. So even the mother is... It's subservient, you know, or like a second in command, if we'll put it that way, to the father, so the father is the one that gets, you know, whose demands come first. Okay? but So that's when they're in that dynamic of being married. We'll see in a minute when they're divorced. Sha'at aviimcha Rabbi Yeshua, he came to Rebbe Yeshua, and Yeshua gave him the same <laughs> answer. He asked the same question to Reb Yeshua. Amalok, he said to Rabbi Yeshua, Shamahu. let's <laughs> say my mother is divorced. Then which I obligation comes first. Malay, he said to me, from your eyelashes, it's clear that you're the son of a widow. Apparently, Raji says, he, his eye, he had no eyelashes. They all came out from crying. Clearly, you're an orphan. And therefore, apparently what bothered him was, you're allowed to ask as a Talmud Torah a halachic question, but he asked it as if it was personally relevant. He said, what if my father tells me this? Not if what if a, you know, what if a father demands this, but Abba. You know, what if daddy says this? What if mommy says that? Okay? And here he was, he was an orphan." Now I don't know how to explain the next line from a pastoral perspective. He says it's clear you're an orphan, so you know what? Um, go pour water in a uh, you know in a, in a what do you call it in a bowl in, in a bowl. And get trying to go and and like cluck at them like uh, chickens and have them come and drink from the bowl. Okay, which is like what? So Rashi sort of says he was like mocking it because he was asking it as if it was personally relevant when it wasn't personally relevant. I don't know if the right person you want to be mocking asking about a question about. how how to treat one's parents mm-hmm. is a is an orphan child whose navy is like Imagining and longing, and you know, for for having for having parents. I really don't know what to make, you know, make of that. Um, you know, I I I, I don't know. It does, that that just leaves me speechless. I don't know what to make of that. I will say, from a halachic standpoint, the halacha is that if they're divorced, really, there is no way of determining which one comes first, and you have to uh, and you get to choose. And by the way, this can come up because if you have divorced parents and they're making competing demands and claims at you, right? There is no easy halachic answer to decide how to choose between them and that by the way is another relevant point maybe this is what I was trying to say before about the sort of shift between Agarita and Halacha is that in you do not have overly specific you know quantified detailed Halacha it's not like you know how my esrog has to look and how my sukkah has to be built in terms of exactly tell me exactly like you know in these circumstances this is what I do and in these circumstances there are more you know there are general obvious Halacha and guidelines but there's a lot of gray and part of that Reason is because the human condition is so complex. There's no way you're going to describe all of the realities and contextualize all the realities. But another reason is is that because in bein adam areas, the primary sort of we're not just looking for obedience. We're not just looking for oh, I did my obligation of giving tzedakah because I did exactly what the Shocher Aruch said I should have done here, and I did my ki- obligation of kibbutz because I looked it up in Shocher Aruch and I did exactly what I was said. Right? I mean, <laughs> Bain adam l'chaveiro is supposed to be exercising also your moral judgment and muscle and not just your, you know, obedient muscle and judgment and therefore there's a, you have to use your moral judgment in deciding these types of things. So it's very interesting that here actually, there's no answer, you're going to have to figure that out. And again, part of this shifting between halacha and agarata you know, particularly here, it's very, very high, this regular shifting, you know, is I think to some degree because this is not like an overly precisely defined halachic area. Jenna, you had a question?
2: Oh, just that the translation here, the very thing, that you to like think it implies that you treat them both equally that like how you put water like in a pen and that
0: whoever comes first right but still that's a very disrespectful way like that's really what you're supposed to do you're supposed to put your, your first of all if they're divorced you're not living in the same place and like, like I understand that's the image but it's obviously it's obviously like the wrong image. oh well if your parents aren't competing just throw the water in front of them and have them fight it out right what you know and this is what you tell a Ben Omana? Like, I don't get it yes yeah
1: um cites Mary that this case was about a uh, a son whose mother had been widowed and then remarried, and the question was really about the treatment of the stepfather. Mm.
0: Well, that's a separate conversation. I don't see that in this Gemara, but okay. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm right, all right. Before. Okay, so let's take a look. So Ula, the elder, whatever, the great one, um, gave the following, drasha sermon at the uh, doors of the house of the Nasi. What's meant by the Pasuk? God will give will, will, will give praise to you, recognition to you, all of the kings of the land, because they have heard the words of your mouth. So, the singular word of your mouth, the multiple words. I am the Lord, your God, you shall not have any other gods. Yeah, he just wants his own honor. It's not like there's a fundamental principle at work here that demands that we give that fealty and recognition to God. He's just doing it for his own self-serving purposes. But then he said, honor your mother and father. Oh, then they understood. There's a fundamental principle here about giving honor and respect to those that bring you into the world and do things for you. Gratitude or whatever it is. So now we understand. It makes sense. It wasn't self-serving, that idea of honoring God. That's a deep fundamental religious and moral principles. So again, this equation. But here, understanding that Kibravain shows us, models for us, you know, the honor of God. It's a question of which order is the sort of are we learning from the connection. Okay. Rahmer Mehacha, similar Drasha from a different possible Rojdvarcha emet, the first of your words are true. Rojdvarcha below, what only the first, not the last? Elam Sovracha, Nikosha Roshvarcha emet From the end of your words, when in the end of the Asherzad you said, I know Uh, then it was clear that the first of your words those were appropriate they weren't self-serving okay now back to uh now bromine name of rav ula they asked ula i had he can keep how far does keep it over in go i'm
2: the usual
0: yeah ravla to ula Ula. yeah unless it was somebody else i'm going to say to them to renounce of my ask go see what a certain non did in ashkelon the dumbenestino Shemo. his name was dumbenestino a famous story tam akhaz bikil khakmi takmakia bishim rebo sahar one time the sages needed a certain type of a of a of a, a, of, of a, of a of a whatever park some type merchandise. of merchandise thank you for six hundred thousand dinars and the the, uh, the, the the key to the door to his warehouse was under his father's head his father was asleep and was under the pillow below zero he was willing to forego all that profit rather than to wake up his father I'm a well by the way what's interesting here is this idea of causing anguish and where that thing is in to keep it out of the aim like we had before, you know, if somebody doesn't honor their father and mother, you know, if there's it's air their father and mother, God says, it's good I wasn't living that you would have caused me pain and anguish, is that idea of not causing your p- parents anguish, like, bark- now you could say, no, the real keep it out of the aim is you don't wake up your father who's sleeping, but you know, the issue comes up also, like, let's say, especially for adult children, like, making choices that are not the choices your parents would have wanted you to make, that could cause them a lot of aggravation and anguish, are you not allowed to do that because of keep it out of the aim, keep it out of the- I, mean, I can never do anything that might cause my parents. English. but there, again, there's a difference between making my own choices and them not being happy with it, because also I'm, you know, and I have rights to sort of lead my own life as well, and there's another thing about like directly doing something that's offensive to them or just, you know, or disrespectful to them and so on, so it is interesting, like exactly where do you, what, what would waking up with a parent be? Would that be a problem of mora, of awe, of reverence? Would it be a problem of covert if you're supposed to cause your, you know, give your parents food and clothing and provide them for their needs So allowing them, the, you know, the opportunity to sleep, like exactly exactly, you know, how to precisely define each category, and what halachically falls in what, is, is a little bit of a question.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs>
0: right. now one imagines that it's the son's prophet, and not the father's prophet, but still the father could say, are you an idiot, did I raise an idiot, right, <laughs> so one has to presume, maybe, okay, anyway, um, but I got to tell you, like, I learned this, I got it, at a very early age, and it made a big impression on I, mean, I do want to say it made it a big impression, not maybe, not just in terms of Kibra Ha'eim, which it did, and that's, by the way, you know, why these agaritas are so powerful, because you can tell halachas from today till tomorrow. You tell this story, right, and it captures the imagination, and it holds up this ideal model, right, and that is, you know, so, such a powerful tool of education. But the other impression that it created on me also was about this great sin of, um, of like, a Stealing somebody's sleep, of waking somebody up who's asleep. Like that to me, you know, it's like, I'm, um, uh, you know, it's like this, what has always been this big taboo. If somebody's asleep, you don't just give their sleep, you know? So, um, and I think, you know, so there is that idea, you know, Xalos Sheena, you know, that comes up in like some of the couple, you know, whatever, Musser literature. But this story really like impressed so it upon me. The
2: guy's, the guy's name is
0: the son of the giver. <laughs> right. That's interesting. Now, by the way, why all of these examples about a non-Jew, you know, obviously one of the messages is is that Kibbutz aim is is based, besides the religious messages, there's obviously a universal moral ethos here that's accessible to everybody. You know, it's also like a Kavachomers. Non-Jews connect this way, how much more so? What if you have the obligation? Should you be acting this way? You know, especially you're obligated. Not because you're on a higher level, but you're obligated. Okay, the other thing that Blitzstein Points out is that the Romans really excelled in the mo- in the, this modeling of of honor of parents, and he says it could be the sages were just profoundly impressed by how much they had you know made that a profound moral principle, and they are communicating you know some of that. Yeah, which Charlie yeah. you saying? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, this was actually the very first. Uh, the Sugya, the very first Gemara Shir I ever attended. So hmm. I also learned this. Yeah,
0: uh, also <laughs> Yeah, there's all these stories about Asaf, how much he, even though he was a yeah. Russia, he was Machabed <coughs> Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of these profound moral messages. And then that's the other point I wanted to make, I think, if I'm remembering about the, the balancing of the Agatha and the Halacha, is that Halacha, yeah, I, if I didn't say this before, this is what I wanted to say. The Halacha, uh-huh in general, halacha sets a floor. Minimum, minimum behavior demanded by everyone. Right? And every now and then you have a lisni mishur, sadin. Everybody's got to do this, listenim, It'd be nice if you did a little extra. By the aim, the constant message is like, here's the minimum, but there's a maximum that nobody is going to ever, the ideal that nobody's ever going to reach but everybody has to strive to reach. And it's like way higher than the minimum demanded. So that's constant sort of push On the one hand, we have to acknowledge that you can't, for some people, you, you know, you, you, you can't demand more than the minimum either because of their life circumstances their relation to their parents their personal character whatever it might be and at the same time there is this religious ideal of you owe your parents everything and you, you know, at how much you know, ideally you should be giving them that's constantly in tension with sort of the minimum demand and that's this uh, moving back and forth let's try to at least finish the daf, okay? the Amur the I should say Okay, um okay they asked how far does it go? I'm gonna see what this did for They wanted the uh, precious stones for the ephod. he would have made six hundred thousand dinari of profit. Oh not only six hundred thousand, but eight hundred thousand. the 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 he uh, was under the pillow. The low Tiro, he didn't disturb him. The next year, he was rewarded by God he had a paraduma, and that's what he could have charged whatever he would have wanted so the sages came to I could ask anything in the world you would give me whatever I would ask this guy was such a tzaddik I'm only going to ask the prophet that I lost because of the respect I show for my father by the way one else has to worry is think about the image and the metaphor here that he is providing the sages with the necessary objects for their like religious you know mm-hmm. central like for the Kohen Godel for the Kara for like the sake of all of quasi Israel, this non-Jew is providing and the non-Jew is also providing the model for this central religious principle of Kibbutz Ha'em right it's pretty amazing you gotta you gotta you, you know you gotta you gotta sort of acknowledge yeah for the <laughs> 648 uh, I have to if somebody's <laughs> not out obligated, that's what they can reach. How much more so somebody who's obligated, you know, has to strive to do that. Or how much somebody who's obligated would be rewarded. Somebody who's commanded is at a higher level than somebody who's not commanded. Interesting questions about what that's about. You know, is that about Rashi says, well, because if you're commanded, then you want to break, if you feel a sense of external obligation, you're not as internally motivated to do it. I think that the more general principle about that is is that if you're commanded, it shows that the, uh, that that desire, that, uh, that action is more demanded and desired by God than if you're not commanded. So obviously it's going to be at a higher level. But here becomes an important principle exactly what I was talking about, about religious versus moral obligation. What happens when you make something a religious obligation? Does it stop being felt of as a moral obligation? Oh, i got to do Kibbutz i got to give tzedakah, because that's what it says in the Shulchan Aruch, that I've got to give tzedakah. And then how much does it undermine sort of the, moral sense of the drive and maybe that's part of the challenge this non-Jew who didn't have it as a religious obligation he was really able to strive to a certain height maybe part of our challenge is maintaining that sense when, even after it becomes a like, religious obligation a commanded thing I'm just going to all those questions I just, I just want to turn the, the page okay bye I'm going Yosef I used to thought. If somebody would tell me Rabbi Yosef was blind, and he said if somebody would tell to me that we rule like Rabbi Yehuda, who says a blind person is exempt from mitzvos, from our sumer mitzvos. If somebody would tell me that that's how we rule, Avina I would make a yanta for the for the for the for the Torah scholars because I would be I, why because then I would find out that I'm not commanded, I'm blind, the and I'm still doing the mitzvahs. So I thought I would get a lot of reward. Now that they heard the teacher Rabbi Hanina one who is commanded is greater than one who isn't commanded in terms of the reward that they're deserving the opposite if you tell me you don't really like Rabbi Yudah that I'm obligated then I'll feel better then I'll make the young because then it means my reward will be greater okay let's just do one more story of, of, of Dama Ben-Nesina at least turn the page He when Rav Dimi came from Israel he said Sirikon up. One time, this Dama Benesina was wearing this, like, golden embroidered, uh, you know, garment type of a sirikon, whatever that is, a, a two, uh, a, 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 what's it called? A, uh, toga or something. Okay, I don't know. Yoshe Rome, he was sitting there amongst the, uh, you know, the, uh, the prestigious, uh, people of Rome. Um Ubad his mother came to Karasomi Menu and tore it off of him. Setup Rosha and banged, you know banged him out, slapped him on the head with it. Um the Yarkaloban him and spat in his face. and he didn't embarrass he was he embarrassed her. He was willing to show her, you know. The reverence that you will uh, do by the way right it's interesting before we talked about you're more likely to show honor to your mother and reverence to your father and Dhamma Benessina's modeling the less likely right he showed honor to the father I mean it's exactly frame how you framed the not waking but the nurse sort of said kavod he showed honor to the father by not waking and one would imagine again you could frame this either way but once this is like not responding you know and even in the sense of greatly being shamed and embarrassed is the reverence right to the mother Tani Avimi Bredra you know what, even though this is, uh, we, I really wanted to turn the page, I, I, well, I'm going okay, let me just read this. Because I'm not going to be here tomorrow, and I want to say something about this. Okay. Yesh Machil Aviv Pisioni, a person can feed his father fattened uh, like uh, uh, pigeons, the Olam and ca- and it would drive him from the world, the son. The Yesh Matchinobrichaim and they see, he can cause the father to grind in the millstone, and he'll still get the world to come. What does that mean? So the Yerushalmi tells a story. It says the father was feeding his son these fattened pigeons a son was feeding his father these fattened pigeons, you know, this delicacy on a regular basis. And one day the father said, Where do you get all of these beautiful, you know, this these these dishes from? And the son said, said, what do you care, old man, just chew it and eat it, okay, whereas, so that you can and then the other case is that they, they were, the son was working in the millstone and doing this hard labor and he was called, and, uh, fa- uh, and the father was called to do some service for the king, and the son said, you know what, you work in the millstone, I'll do the service for the king, because the service for the king is obviously one that's much riskier, or with hard. error, harder, etc., and the point being, and this is such an important point, is that at the end of the day, we're going to we haven't listed yet, but we're going to list certain actions and activities which are covered in Yira. You don't contradict, you take care of their needs, all these types of things. What the Gemara is saying is, you don't, you're don't. you not Yotza your obligation by doing those activities. There's ways you can do those things that show respect and there's ways you can do them that show disdain and disrespect. You can fee- feed the most delicious meals in a way of complete disdain and disrespect. That is not Kibur aim. You can do none of those activities and do, do the biggest human Kibur Aim. So ultimately, right? It's not like so much of halacha focuses on shake the lulav like this and, you know, move it like this and put on the tefillin like that and here what the Gemara is saying is kavod, it's not how you feel. You might not feel honor or respect. We don't care how you feel. What we care about is how you act. How, what are you demonstrating through your actions? Are you doing an act that shows respect or that doesn't, right? So, it's not how you feel but also the action itself is not sufficient. It has to be an action done in a way that demonstrates honor and respect rather than in because you could do the exact same act and it could demonstrate the exact opposite. Okay, and that's, again, a really important principle by aim different than you find most other times. It doesn't matter how I'm putting on the tefillin, like what attitude I have when I put on the tvilla, and I'm still being Yotse. But the attitude that I have and what I communicate when I'm doing acts of aim can make all of the difference. All right, so we'll end with this.